Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode four of series five of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. One of the fastest growing areas of people analytics and one that garners a lot of interest from practitioners is organizational network analysis or ONA, which can provide a fresh lens on how work really gets done in an organization. A challenge for companies wanting to deploy ONA is to identify the right use case or business problem beyond the common use of ONA to identify key influencers within the company. McKesson is one company that identified a prime use case, that of understanding what drives high performance in sales, both from an individual and sales leader perspective. I am joined for this episode of the podcast by RJ Milner, who until recently was the VP of Talent Management Operations at McKesson, to walk through how McKesson used ONA to drive sales performance. I've known RJ for a few years, and he is one of the most impressive and business-focused people analytics leaders I've met. As well as McKesson, he's held leadership roles at the likes of Chevron, Equifax, and Citrix, and he recently moved back to the San Francisco Bay Area to take on a new role as head of people analytics at Uber. In our conversation, RJ and I also discuss how the workforce planning and analytics team at McKesson is organized in terms of location, skills, and where it sits in HR the role the team plays to support transformation, workforce planning, and organizational design. Uh, We also talk about how RJ developed a community of practice for people analytics, developed a data-driven culture in HR. And we look at the opportunities and risks for the people analytics field moving into 2020 and beyond. We also, as with all our guests on the podcast, ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for anyone in a workforce or people analytics role HR and business professionals interested in how people data can drive business outcomes, and CHROs looking to build or scale their people analytics capabilities. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 5 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Support for this podcast is brought to you by OrgView. OrgView is the SaaS platform for workforce analytics and modeling that puts your organization on the front foot. Because in an era of constant disruption, getting ahead sure beats playing catch up. What Orgview does best is give you control of your workforce, how it's organized, how it operates, and how it can be designed to do better, all based on data. It connects HR and finance data so the business can come together to interrogate the present and plan ahead to ensure the workforce and the work it does delivers the business vision. This is real-time organizational planning and analysis for times of change. And that's why Orgview is used by the world's most progressive companies and consulting firms to continually shape their future organization. To discover more, visit the website at orgview.com. That's orgvue.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome RJ Milner, my good friend and global head of workforce planning and analytics at Kesson to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. RJ, it's great to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here, David. Thanks for having me on. Over in the UK. Can you, can you give our listeners a, a quick introduction to yourself and your background and a little bit about your vision for people analytics? Sure. My name is RJ Milner. I lead people analytics at McKesson. And my background is a little bit of a circuitous path, uh, like a lot of, uh, of us. I did my grad work in international economics and international relations. And then uh, my first job was actually on Wall Street. So I was an investment banker on the derivatives floor. So derivatives are options, swaps, things like that. Yeah structuring, trading, selling those. And it was actually there that I became fascinated by the impact that our workforce and specifically talent strategies could have on profitability. Uh, so uh, you know, can we, for instance, quantify leadership bench strength and look at the relationship between that 
and profitability or total shareholder return. And that found uh, led me to corporate executive board and corporate leadership council for about seven years. And uh, from there, I then started to build and lead people analytics teams uh, at companies like Citrix, Equifax, Chevron, and then McKesson. And so uh, when I think about people analytics, the, the mission that we have at McKesson is to deliver better people and business results through data and analytics. And so if we break that down a little bit, delivering better people results is really about getting data back to people, giving their own data back to them so they can be more engaged, more productive, have better well-being. Um, and that leads to better business results. So if we're able to help employees be more engaged and have better well-being and more productive, we can drive better business outcomes. And we can measure those things through operating profit, free cash flow, net promoter scores. That's great. And, and you've been in the space for the people analytics space around 10 years now, I think. The gray hair is showing. Yeah, yes. yeah well, not as many as me. And, uh, <laughs> and we met, I think we met first when you were running the, the function at Chevron. But over those 10 years, I mean, what are the, some of the main changes that you've seen in developments in, in our space? So it's interesting to ask that question. The, uh, when my team and I are thinking about building an analysis or especially telling a story with data, one of the phrases I'd sometimes use is the three what's. By that I mean what, so what, and now what. Yeah. And I think our progression as a function over the past decade has actually followed that same curve in many ways. So if I think back a decade or so, uh, kind of the first time as a practitioner, we're really in the what phase. Yeah. So, so much of the, of the work was understanding what is happening in, in the current state. And I remember kind of in that first role, the head of HR asked, said, we've got great HR data. The systems are good, but help me understand what it actually means and how that relates back to the business. So a lot of that work, I think at that time, was data staging and dashboarding, bringing data together from multiple places, visualizing it, and getting it out to the people that needed it to make decisions, hopefully attached to a meaningful story that was business-informed and business-relevant. I think a lot of us are still in that place, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's, a, it's meaningful work. But as, the, as time kind of shifted, we evolved to the so what. And if I think about the so what, there are maybe two parts to that. One is moving from reporting to analytics, clearly differentiating those two things and separating the teams. So yeah. saying there might be a reporting team, sometimes that's in HR operations or somewhere else, and an analytics team that's not focused on the data so much as transforming that data to answer a specific question. Uh, the second part of the so what is connecting the people data with financial or operational data to really show the business or financial impact of the, of the analysis or the people strategy. And so if that's the second piece, we have the what, we have the so what, I think what we're evolving toward, to now or very recently is the now what. And with the changes in technology and available data and in the approaches, machine learning, deep learning, AI, all the buzzwords you know, that we hear about, we're actually able to get some predictive scenarios of what may happen next, the probabilities associated with those things, and, and deliver scenarios and out, potential outcomes uh, to our HR partners and business leaders. And that's yeah. where I see the most value right now is in delivering those types of things. And I suppose that translates to you're a manager in the business or, or an employee or a worker, um, and actually you get the data to you and it tells you if you do this, you could expect this to happen. You know, your team will be more productive, your team will be more engaged, and this is how it translates through to business results. That's the ultimate. Get those little nudges that make those behavioral changes that can, that can really have a big impact on the business. That's exactly right. And something we're exploring right now is that idea of nudging. 
Uh, so think about uh, employee surveys and employee listening is a great example of this. So in the you know, in the not too distant past, uh, we would do an employee survey. Maybe that was every year or maybe every several years, and that would lead to an action plan. Yeah. So uh, you know we have an action plan. It takes a while to cascade down and. We're saying, thank you very much for your feedback. I'm now going to give you this other work to do. Just build up this action plan. Action planning isn't going away. We still need to do that from an organizational perspective, especially for larger, longer scale activities. But if we can give an individual employee or specifically a people leader uh, information that's actionable and in the moment yeah. to drive that engagement or drive that well-being or productivity for their employees, that's wonderful. So that's something we're absolutely thinking about right now and actually doing. Which leads on very nicely to your current role at McKesson. Um, what are the key responsibilities of your role? And the reason I'm asking that question is a lot of people ask me who aren't in the field, say, what is a head of people analytics or work, workforce planning and analytics, as it is in your case? What, what do they do, actually do? What's yeah, their role? So, uh, let me tell you what's, what's, or describe what's in the team, and I can describe what I do, uh, which is a little bit separate, actually. Mm. So in our team, we have uh, workforce analytics, so transforming data to, to solve those challenges. We've got workforce planning. Uh, uh, we're increasingly doing work around employee surveys. We're increasingly involved uh, in pulsing and nudging. We're increasingly involved with data privacy and ethics. Um, and so the team does fantastic work along that. Uh, where I spend most of my time is making and building connections. And that's really most of my work. And so there are really three aspects of that. Uh, one is spending time with the business. So understanding, speaking with business leaders and those in the business, understanding what they're doing and making the connections back to people strategy uh, and thinking about, well, what type of, of analysis might be helpful to either improve the, the work for our employees or drive business outcomes. And that's a bit of scoping, but it's also demand generation. So there's a significant marketing aspect in my role. And that's not to kind of beat the drum for people analytics at McKesson. Is really to help facilitate the business, yeah. uh, and that's a, it's a large part of the role. And it develops a much stronger partnership and relationship with HR and, and with all the different functions and business units. So I think it's a really important part of of what kind of this role does. The second is developing connections across the team. So we have team members with different le levels of specialty and in different locations, connecting them and connecting them with different parts of the business to get things done. Uh, and that's something I take really seriously. Where I spend uh, a good part of my time, maybe most of my time, is uh, connecting my own team with development. Uh, so if you think about one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching, uh, you know, specific development activities, career coaching and career building, that's also kind of a, a large aspect of my role. And I guess this is where your background in consulting helps because the role of the consultant or the translator is, seems to be the, the common terminology that's used. It's so important in people analytics. It is. I think it's one of the most important things. And so there's the element of, uh, of doing the actual work, the analysis, uh, and you know, we try to centralize that as much as possible to get scale uh, and out of the analysis, uh, but then translating that back in a way that's meaningful. Because you can have the best analysis in the world, but if it doesn't resonate yeah. with the customer, and it's, if it's not business relevant to them, it's likely to just sit on the side of their desk or worse yet, go in the dustbin, right? So that, that consulting piece is important. And what we're increasingly finding is to appropriately scope the work, that consulting skill set is so important as well yeah. uh, because we need that understanding of the business and why it's important to them and, and make sure we have, it, um, we have it set up and the research set up appropriately. And develop the hypotheses and get down to the right level so it's the right questions rather than... 
maybe the questions that could be at the top level, really drilling down to the... It's yeah. a fantastic point. And I think we've seen examples of that recently. And I'm very proud of the team for, for identifying that, where we might be given a question hypothesis and we realize, you know, that's a, it's kind of a surface level problem. It's a real problem. And our clients and the business are feeling real pain. But if we take a moment to actively engage with the business or the function that's coming to us and work it through, we can pry that back and realize that the, the root cause might be three or four or five levels down. So it's kind of a classic example of root cause analysis. Yeah. But it takes that consultative approach of slowing things down a little bit, not being reactive and really partnering with the customer to understand what, what might be wrong. And we can get so much more impact when we do it that way. That's brilliant. Well, we're going to come back to some specific examples of some of the work that you've been doing, McKesson, a bit later in the discussion. Um, you've talked a little bit about the skills in the team. You know, how is the team organized? Um, you know, you've, I think you've got a blend between uh, centralized and actually out, out close to the business as well, which I think is quite important, and also where it sits within, where, you, where the team sits within HR as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we operate in a center of expertise or COE model. And it might be helpful if I give you kind of the historical context and then we jump yes, into yes, it. Yes, definitely. So when I came into McKesson about two years ago, we had a centralized team that sat in, in corporate HR. And um, there were also kind of very talented people doing this work, doing people analytics work, uh, spread across the business units and functions you know, across McKesson. Uh, and they were doing fantastic work. But what we realized was because they were disconnected and not communicating, we were oftentimes reinventing the wheel. So the same work was being done kind of at different times, unbeknownst to one, one another. Sometimes we were using different tools, sometimes different data definitions, different data approaches. Uh, so it wasn't as efficient as it could be. Mm. And what we decided to do was bring all, identify these individuals and bring them together into one COE model. And what we've found is that not only is it more efficient, we're better able to service the business, but by bringing everyone together and, and having them communicate and share ideas, we're able to accelerate innovation significantly. Yeah. Uh, so the way that we're organized is as a what I call a hub and spoke. And I think the way I think of hub and spoke is sometimes different than how others think about it. So it's probably useful for me to, to explain a bit. Um, in the hub, we have uh, talent that uh, can scale or come across the enterprise. So think about data infrastructure, data engineers, platform architects. Yeah. Uh, and product specialists. So workforce planning, for instance, sits in the hub. And these are all things that we can, uh, they're enterprise-wide projects or things that we scale across the entire company. We have uh, workforce analysts that are designated to support specific business units or functions that actually sit in those business units. They're embedded, uh, but they direct line into the COE. Uh, and the, um, that gives us tremendous insight into what's happening in the business units. It gives those business units dedicated support or at least designated support. Uh, but then we can understand and share kind of what's happening across the enterprise and also standardize as much as possible. And one of, the, kind of, one of our mantras is that we want to standardize or create commonality uh, where we can so we can differentiate where it's really important. We don't need to be differentiated everywhere. Right? Yeah. And presumably by being embedded in the business, and that gives you access to stakeholders, but also access potentially to, to business data sources as well. That's exactly right. And so we can bring those things together and actually create some commonality in those data sources. Uh, and you know, what we find, but maybe not surprisingly, is that the businesses aren't as different you know, as, as we might think. But the, where there are differences, they're extremely important. Yeah, and it's real. It's very. It's very helpful for us to understand what those differences are, so that we can tailor to those and respect those things 
uh, but we can create a, a layer of standardization as much as possible across the enterprise. So I know from previous discussions that we've had over the last year or two years during your time at McKesson that you're undergoing significant business transformation there at the moment. And what I was wondering, A, because lots of companies are going through significant yeah. business transformations at the moment, is what does that translate to from a people perspective and some of the work that the team gets involved in? Yeah, that's a great question, David. And so we are going through a, a significant business transformation, uh, both to better serve our customers and to react to a, a changing market landscape. So in the U.S., the healthcare landscape is, is shifting pretty significantly. Uh, I think it's an amazing opportunity for people analytics to add value. So if you think about, in our case, business transformation uh, involves two big changes. One is an operating model change, yeah. you know, the way the organization is structured and the way we do business. The second is in our growth strategies. So where are we focusing and where in what areas are we planning to grow over the foreseeable horizon? And if you think about those two elements of a transformation, the way that we're structured and do business, and also where we focus, both growth and foundational capabilities, uh, that is tailor-suited for both HR and specifically people analytics to add value. And so we're, I think we're very fortunate to find ourselves in this position and to be part of uh, so much change happening so quickly in, in a very large company like McKesson. Specifically, to answer your question about, kind of, hey, what are we doing? Uh, there are a few things uh, that I think are really exciting, actually, uh, that, uh, where we're adding value. One is workforce planning. Yeah. And so we've just started workforce planning at McKesson. Uh, we have not had that in McKesson's 185-year history. Wow. And so that's a, a fun thing to get off the ground. And when I think about workforce planning and its impact on transformation, one aspect of it is just understanding the workforce that we need in terms of capacity, capability, cost, timing, location to execute against our strategies. Uh, but another very important element when it comes to transformation is the is the capability piece, you know, second of the ones of, of what I mentioned. So if we're trying to execute a specific strategy, what capabilities do I need to do that if it's three years out, five years out, whatever the time frame might be? Do I have those now when I look at my workforce now? And if I don't, how do I get there? And which of those capabilities is highest priority in terms of business impact, in terms of scarcity of the labor market? So that's a fantastic and really interesting body of work. It's moving quickly. Uh, the second is pulse surveys. So we're moving uh, increasingly from a kind of once a year model of getting employee feedback to a much more frequent and agile yeah. uh, forms of feedback. And I think that's particularly important during a business transformation because things are happening so quickly and employees are going through so much change. It's important for us to understand how they're reacting to that change, what their perceptions are, uh, so that we can communicate with them effectively and make changes if necessary on our side. And once a year just doesn't do it. And focus groups, as good as focus groups are, sometimes don't give us enough scale uh, or representation. And so that's been an important element. Uh, nudging, you mentioned, we mentioned earlier, is also, I think, very important during a transformation in that we, much like pulsing, we're able to react much more quickly with a nudge and apply more science to the approach yeah. uh, with nudging. And I think the last thing I'd mention is, uh, and a very important thing to, to end on, is diversity and inclusion. So as we're going through a transformation, you know, one of the things that we want to understand, for instance, is uh, more about intersectionality. Uh, we also want to dig deeper into inclusion and senses of belonging, and we can do that through multiple different methods, and also do some forecasting around diversity. And here's what we look like now as we make certain changes. What might we look like going forward, and do we need to make any, any changes because of these forecasts? So it's, um, it's a really fascinating opportunity in a transformation to affect meaningful change for our employees and also for the business. Brilliant. And, and 
interestingly, the, the example we're going to talk through now, which is something I saw you present at the Wharton People Analytics Conference earlier this year with, with Manish Gould yes. of Trustphere, and then subsequently at, at Unleash as well in, in Las Vegas in May, was how you're using network analysis. And I think it was the first time that you'd use network analysis at McKesson. And initially, I think you were going to use it for something I presume that was very much linked to the transformation around identifying key influencers. In the end, when you actually got the toy, you decided to use it for something else. And I know our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, thanks for um, the opportunity. And so be interesting to talk about. So what did you actually do with it in terms of the, the, the project and the scope? And what were the business challenges that you were trying to tackle and maybe some of the hypotheses that you maybe had before you did the analysis? Sure. That was a fascinating experiment, David. And uh, it did it did change as we were moving through it. And so the as you mentioned, we at McKesson, we had never uh, used network analytics before, relationship analytics. And so we did this as an experiment uh, to test some hypotheses we had, which I'm happy to talk about, but also the validity of the method. Mm. Uh, just because We honestly didn't know what we would get uh, if there was anything there, and we wanted to test that in, a, in an experiment or a proof of concept in some ways. So you mentioned transformation. A lot of times, one of the reasons why we were interested in network analytics is that Many times when we see it done in the marketplace, there's fascinating work, and it's focused on, say, influencers and brokers. And we identify these influencers and brokers to understand how we might kind of shape the organization and to be more agile or adaptive. Yep. And there's fa fascinating work in the marketplace on that. As we were going through our transformation, we initially thought, well, we might do this to help facilitate communication in regards to our transformation. As a lot of the communication to that point was, uh, either blast communication to all employees or a cascade. And if we could identify groups that were influencers or mm. brokers, we might be able to basically communicate more effectively through these networks and advocates. As we started to, to kind of think through the structure of what network analytics is, and we did something called passive network analytics. So using email data, I can talk a little more about that as we get into it. Get into it. What we realized was we had a better opportunity to provide um, really meaningful data back to employees and to the business and strengthen McKesson's culture by combining this network data with business data yeah. So for, uh, and bringing these two things together. And those were really our, um, our motivations was how can we uh, give data back to employees to improve kind of their engagement and productivity, really help them be better at what they do by giving data back to them? And then how can we help inform the business by bringing this data together, network anal analytic data combined with business data? And so we started to look at business data as, as an example, sales performance and employee turnover. That changed our thinking quite a bit from just looking at influencers and brokers and using this to, to facilitate communication to do something which we thought would be much uh, broader and have meaningful impact in terms of operating profit. So. Uh, what we did was we developed three hypotheses. One was, uh, do high-performing sales teams build relationships differently than low-performing sales teams? Is there something about the way they build relationships, external versus internal, for instance, that is both in common and differentiated? Because if we can understand that, we can teach it, yeah. right? Uh, and that can have a meaningful impact on gross profit. Secondly, uh, our high-turnover high teams different than low turnover teams. Is there something about their relationships that might be indicative or predictive of turnover? And third, we wanted to look at post-merger integration. 
So McKesson does a lot of, of acquisition activity. Uh, we're very fortunate to do that. Uh, but we want to know, are, are the employees that, that come with an acquired company, are they actually integrating into McKesson or are they staying ring-fenced? Yeah. So the way that we went about it uh, was this passive approach. Uh, we looked at uh, de-identified uh, uh, email data. Uh, so when we think about kind of what that is, it's email, email metadata or kind of log data. So this would be um, sender, recipient, and timestamp. And it's not content in, in, in exactly you talking about how you, you know, anonymize it so you can... Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. It's, 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 it's one of the concerns I think people have about doing this. And I think when you actually look, you can it quite easily put the protection around that you need to put around. Yeah, and I think it's, it's really important to bring that out. And there are certainly articles written about this type of thing. Um, we want to make sure we're giving value back to employees in the company. Yep. But we also really want to, to respect the privacy of our employees at the same time and not look at data that's, that's not relevant to what we're trying to measure. And so you're exactly right. You're not looking at content. We're looking at just the log data uh, that, that exists in our email logs. And it's the sender-recipient timestamp. And that's how we understand connections and relationships. So as an example, um, David, I send you an email. And then you send me an email back in, say, 30 minutes. So through that, we have a connection. Now, over maybe 10 days, I keep on sending you emails and you keep on sending me emails. Now that shows a relationship. And over the span of an analysis, what we'll see based upon how many emails are sent and the frequency of response and also how quickly people respond is the strength of those relationships. So we're looking at connections, relationships, and strength of relationships. Yeah. Uh, and what we did over a 100-day experiment was monitor this, this information to understand the connections and relationships and compare that to some business data. Uh, and we ran this as an experiment for 100 days and, believe it or not, collected a, over 130 e million emails in that process. So there's this tremendous volume of data. Yeah, the difference between passive network analysis and active network analysis, which is predominantly survey-based, is the volume and the scale that you can do this at. That's exactly right. And it's actually one of the cautions is that you can easily boil the ocean because yeah. you have so yeah. much data. So it's really important to go in with some clear hypotheses that you want to test. So what, what were some of the key findings? Because I know, I know they're pretty interesting findings, actually, which really resonated with the business. Yes. So I think one of the biggest uh, key findings for us is that uh, network analytics can uh, predict business outcomes. Right? So, um, which was, and again, kind of going into this, we didn't know what we would find. So yeah. much of it was validating, uh, validating the approach, but we saw distinct connections between business outcomes and, and some predictive validity there as well. And so if, if I kind of, kind of break it down, I think one of the first things we realize is we send a lot of emails. So yeah. there might be something there that we should look into. But um, kind of going through those hypotheses, the first thing we realized was that the more effective te sales teams have stronger, more balanced relationships. So a question we had going in was, well, are, are the best salespeople, the top quarter sales quartile sales teams, do they have stronger external relationships? They just know everybody, yeah. uh, or they have stronger internal relationships. They really know the people internally to get things done, and it was both. You really need to have a a strong network, but it's a, a balanced Balance, and strong yeah. network. Um, the other thing we saw within kind of the sales experiment was that uh, the 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 networks of high performing sales reps were different than sales managers, and sales managers actually. Uh, 
that were high performing had stronger internal networks. So it's a little similar to individual contributor versus people leader yep. in some ways. When we shifted to turnover, uh, high turnover teams, and again, we were looking at teams and groups, not, in, not individuals. Uh, when we looked at uh, high turnover teams, their relationships tend to be stronger up and out of the organization. So very strong relationships externally, strong relationships internally above them in the hierarchy. But there were meaningful gaps peer to peer and then down the hierarchy, right? And so very useful for us. It was extremely consistent across high turnover teams. And so that's useful for us in terms of uh, both kind of predicting or diagnosing where turnover may happen based upon mm. relationships, but we also can mitigate that. We can talk about that maybe in a little bit. Uh, and then we looked at post-merger integration. So we wanted to understand, you know, are em uh, employees that come to us from an acquired company, are they actually integrating into McKesson? And the answer that we found was yes, typically within about a one-year period. And so that was also a useful finding. And you said you could go back to some of the things that would mitigate against um, the, the, the attrition part of things. It'd be good to hear a little bit about that as you dangled the carrot. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I hooked you. Now let you hooked me. Really you you hooked me. Uh, one of the things that we're investigating right now with turnover is, you know, first we, we're continuing to kind of validate that relationship. Is it what we think it is? And it, it certainly looks that way. Uh, but the uh, we're exploring whether we can use flexible workspace to close some of the gaps mm. in peer-to-peer -peer and downward relationships. So if you think about, and again, this is, uh, we are in, in very much hypothesis mode, but if you think about a, um, kind of a, a fixed workspace environment, uh, that can create literally walls you know, between, between individuals. Uh, we have uh, some workspaces that are in flexible environments. We want to understand, can we use that to facilitate more collaboration peer-to-peer? -peer? And if we do that, are we seeing differences in those networks? And are we seeing consequent changes in turnover behavior? Um, so that is one thing we have underway. Um, we're also working on the sales front to see if we can uh, kind of teach and train those behaviors and build those in uh, to create lift in sales. So I think there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity here. And what was the reaction of the business? Uh, surprise uh, in mm. terms of of what we're actually seeing. So there, I think there's one of the things that that we typically see with or that that we've heard from some of our colleagues in network analytics is gosh, it's hard to get traction on this. And we were fortunate to be able to run this experiment and put some hypotheses together. I think the surprise for the business was, wow, that's that's more meaningful than we thought. So, so now what we're doing is kind of in the pro we're working through the process of scaling this out. Yeah, uh, and that's that's part, that's part of the fun. But I think there's you know, we are we are seeing more and more opportunities to leverage the data. So we mentioned turnover, uh, sales. Uh, increasingly, we're looking at at other opportunities, whether it's kind of, Using this to to understand diversity and inclusion and create better better even better senses of belonging, we're seeing opportunities with real estate and facilities to understand the relationship between facilities design and collaboration. So it's almost like when you when you look at this and you look at the opportunity that it poses, you end up seeing more and more opportunities. And from a kind of, it's sometimes hard for me to suppress the the original investment banker in me. Uh, there's there's kind of the fixed investment, but you're getting the um, you keep on getting the incremental benefit out of this, so it's just a, it's a, there's an economy of scale that happens. Well, so I was just saying, you know, from you know doing an experiment, you know, which might have failed, mm -hmm. hundred days, 
you've opened up a, a window to a whole land of opportunity potentially that you can do much further and deeper analysis on which can really benefit both the, the workers, whether they're salespeople or sales managers, and obviously the business as well. Because the great thing about sales is it's quite easy to see um, there's not such a gap to get to the, the actual business value out of this, is there? I think it's a great point. And one of the things that excites me about this is um, can we look across an entire enterprise to get, uh, to get data? And let's just, you know, let's say it's, uh, it's this passive data, it's de-identified, and we're seeing trends, right? So it might be the trends of a high-performance salesperson, it might be trends of something else. And so that helps us understand the patterns that exist. At the same time, can we give an, an employee back their own data in a way that's specific to them? Uh, and I don't need to see that from mm. the center, right? Uh, but if I can show, for instance, if I can show an employee what a high-performing uh, sales team looks like, and I can show that same employee in a way that's confidential to them what their network looks like, and then provide supporting tools, whether it's training, whatever it might be, to help them close gaps if they see fit, that's that's meaningful value back to an employee. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're, what we're chasing after is leveraging data that can drive business performance. But they can also give employees meaningful value. Uh, based upon information they're giving to us. So RJ, this is, I know this is something we've spoken out quite a lot. You know, one of the biggest challenges that we come across at Insight 222 when we're speaking to clients is the challenge that they have in developing a data-driven culture across HR and also that desire from the business as well. I know you did a lot of work of this in, in previous roles. But I'd really like to understand what you're doing at McKesson to help drive this. Yeah, I think this is foundational. Uh, so mm. thanks for asking the question. Is if we don't have kind of a data-driven mindset in the HR function, it's very difficult to execute against any insights that an analytics function creates. So that this is it's so important to create, and I think people analytics functions serve a very important role in in doing this. Um, we are in the midst of an HR transformation right now, uh, in, in part with our business transformation, and we realized there were five key capabilities or mindsets that were essential for kind of the HR of the future at McKesson. Yeah. One of those five mindsets is what we call data mindset. So that um, we are partnering, in the, in people analytics, we are partnering with our talent management function at McKesson to develop this across HR. Because it is so fundamental for HR adding value. And, and you know, for us, it's, it's essential for us to be able to execute against our work. Um, when we think about, kind of, so what does that look like? What does developing uh, data and analytical skills look like for, for HR? It's certainly not kind of the the kind of curriculum I would build for a people analytics team. Yeah. I don't need them to be, or I don't want them to be analysts. But what I do want for HR is to be to think analytically, and that's different. Yeah. You know, it's it's to certainly understand the data and understand the way the data moves, um, but really to take a problem and start breaking it apart. And so root cause analysis is really important there, problem identification, and the way that we are tackling data mindset is really through three pillars. One is through executive sponsorship. So making sure we have kind of clear sponsors. Uh, you know, certainly, I, I might be one of those, but, but also you know, in HR, outside of HR, that are supporting the importance of this. Yeah. And then we're also providing messaging and kind of consistent messaging across those sponsors, working, our, working this into town halls, into uh, kind of all HR communications about the importance of data mindset and what that is. We, we also uh, actually built a curriculum that's now on our LMS, on our learning management system, uh, that's a series of courses to build data mindset. And we're at what I would call it the 101 level. We're layering kind of 201s and 301s into that, and we'll be doing that over the next 12 months. Uh, but that 101 is broken down into kind of three 
key capabilities. Uh, data fluency, yep. so understanding the data, kind of what metrics do we use, why do we use them, key kinds of statistical approaches, not anything deep. The second is storytelling, and we, we talk about that a lot. Yep. And then the third is analytical thinking. So we were just talking about a problem identification, root cause analysis. So if we move now, we look at the discipline in, in more general terms. So obviously you've been in people analytics for 10 years, you're doing some great work and have done some great work over that time. What excites you most about the discipline moving forward? Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's an excellent question. There are two things. Uh, one is that in, in people analytics, we have, I think, a very unique opportunity and ability to affect meaningful positive change for the employee. So if you think about their engagement, their well-being, their productivity, uh, we can affect those things in a dramatic way by the insights that we create and, that, and the activities we influence. Uh, and that's, that's a powerful thing and, and a big responsibility. Uh, the second, which comes from that in many ways, is the opportunity to impact the business. You know, so a lot of our work, most of our projects uh, at McKesson have an annual operating profit number associated with that. If we do this, we're likely to influence this much of incremental operating profit. Yeah. Uh, those, those, that's significant. And so we have a real ability to partner with the business and help lift the business, but doing so in tandem with a lot of things that, that we talk about as a community in terms of being uh, of helping our employees, uh, making sure that, that, that they thrive and they're being socially responsible in the process. And when you put those two things together, that's a, it's a powerful and motivating thing. And it requires a lot of creativity too. So th yeah. those are some things that excite me about it. And I think with the recent announcement from the Business Roundtable of 181, I think it's 181 CEOs, you know, talking about investing in employees, I think this is more than PR. We shall see, I guess, from, from some of those organizations. But it really, it, the promise for people analytics out of this is, is, is huge. It is. Our CEO signed that uh, and something that we, we very much believe in as a company uh, and that we certainly believe in as a people analytics team as well. Which is great. And I think, I think that's where society is going. Everyone has been talking about changing employee expectations. I think businesses have to do more now than just deliver profits, and clearly you guys are on the road to, to doing that, which is, which is fantastic. So again, looking at the field, what is your biggest concern for people analytics? Uh, so I have two. Okay. Uh, and I, You're I, allowed I, to. Okay, good. I won't go more than two. Uh, the, the first is that in the pursuit of what is interesting, we become irrelevant. Yeah. And hopefully that's new, not too strongly worded. but. Um, there's there's some amazing work happening. There's truly amazing work happening across uh, people analytics functions. There are occasions, and they're typically rare, where I really struggle to see the connection between the work or the study and the business strategy or business outcome. Yeah. And I think while there is room for us to be creative or to pursue things that aren't directly related to business, we run a risk when we do that, and we certainly run a risk when we do that too much, um, because. We, Many times, or for many of us, we, we are part of for-profit organizations. And so I think we need to, we need to balance that uh, and ensure that we're delivering value back to the business. Now, value comes in different ways, like we just talked about. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a social responsibility element, but, uh, and there are many others. But, but that is one risk I think we just need to be cautious of, or at least visible to. The second, I think by far the bigger risk in my mind, is that we mess it up. And, and what I mean by that is we are running really quickly. Um, so the, the field is moving fast. Uh, we're, we are pushing boundaries. In a lot of cases, we're creating entirely new ground. And as we do that, we need to be cautious 
uh, and very thoughtful of the decisions we make, especially with new technology and especially mm. as those new technologies affect um, both our policies as, as they come up against regulations and, and as they affect our employees, right? And so it's something that the both I am and our team spend a lot of time thinking about. So you know, there's the there's a classic you know, you, know, you can but should you kind yeah. of questions yeah. where data privacy and ethics really come in. But you know, how might something impact an employee's life? How might it impact their career growth? How might it affect, from a technical standpoint, other systems? How might it affect how the business runs? Um, so I really want to make sure that we take the time to slow down when necessary uh, on some of on some of these areas and that's just a something that we are we're very thoughtful about yeah well it's interesting when we were building the business at insight 222 one of the things we wanted to do was understand from our clients what were their biggest challenges and the biggest thing that came back and it was just before gdpr so it may have been linked to that was ethics you know doing the right thing as you say and making sure that we're Proof, future-proofing our people analytics functions from doing the wrong things or being asked to do the wrong things. So we co-created that ethics chart, which I think I think you were probably involved with, exactly. RJ. And um, you know, and it's almost I see that the, the the people analytics teams are almost like the guardians of doing the right thing within their organisations. And part of our role is to educate our our colleagues in HR, but also our business leaders about, as you said, doing things, taking the time to make sure that we're doing the right things, thinking. Actually, about the transparency, you know, you were talking about with employees. If we can't articulate this to employees, then really should we do this? I totally agree. I think people analytics plays a, a very important role, if not a leading role in that, because of both the familiarity with the data and the view across the enterprise in many cases. And that you know, we will see things and see potential impacts and have relationships. We we're talking about kind of building connections, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we have a visibility that that many other parts of the organization might lack. I mean, other parts of the organization are expert in what they do, but they may not be able to see across as easily. Yeah. Uh, this is its honestly one of the, the learnings that we have. We were talking about network analytics earlier. Uh, one of the key learnings is just how valuable transparency is. Even in something like a, you know, a, a experiment or proof of concept when we're validating a scientific method, our go-forward approach is to to communicate and be, uh, be transparent with employees in all of these types of activities because there's no reason not to. No. Uh, and no. The, you know, the, empl- the, um, uh, the employee, I think, well, I, we know, has a right to see that see their data, uh, but, but they should know what's happening with their data and what's in it for them. Uh, and that's just, the, I think that is a kind of a mandate we all should have going forward. And there's benefit for the organization because we may we may learn things from employees in just that communication that helps us use that data in a, in a better way. Perfect. Well, we're, we're coming to the end. This is a question that we ask every guest on the show, and you can be as creative as you want to be, <laughs> and you can go beyond 2025. Looking forward, you know, we're looking forward just over five years. What, what do you think the future role of HR will be in, in 2025? Oh, I love this question. It's such a creative <laughs> one. Uh, so when we look at... Uh, HR now, and I think historically, you might think of HR as the custodian of the workforce. You know, uh, we work with our workforce, our employees, um, create the the right tools and policies to drive productivity that helps us win in the marketplace. Going forward, you know, I I see HR as being the custodian of work, and what I mean by that is looking at the 
body of work that's happening across the enterprise and understanding how to allocate that work yeah. to the appropriate channel. And so it becomes slightly less employee-focused and much more work-focused. And let me kind of give you a, a few examples. Uh, you know, right now, I think we've most of us should have a, have a good sense of what our employee base looks like, maybe our contractors as well. We may have a good sense of the projects that are happening across the enterprise. I think it's a lot more difficult for yeah. many of us. But we've got very little insight into the corpus of work that's actually happening across the enterprise. So where I see us moving and where I can aspirationally hope we move is having a much clearer understanding of that full body of work, uh, being able to plan for that work, and then being able to help allocate that work to different places so that it can be done more efficiently. Now, one channel is the employee. I think it will continue to be a very important channel. Yeah, yeah, but we also have contractors, freelance work, certainly automation, which we talk a lot about, whether it's uh, bots or AI, uh, freelance, uh, 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 freelance work. It could be crowdsourced. It could be sent even to customers to, to do. Mm. And so if we think about HR as kind of the arbiter of that, of, of helping get the work to the right place to be the most efficiently, that's, a, for me, a very compelling vision. And as part and parcel of that, we can then think about uh, within any one channel, what can we do to, to optimize that, to make sure that that channel has what they need uh, to be as engaged and productive as possible. So if we think about the employee channel, then certainly employee experience, these types of things become that we talk about a lot right now, become absolutely critical. But there can be other channels that we not, may not spend as much time focusing on now so contractors or freelance that we might really want to in the future. Uh, and that's, uh, I think that could add a lot of value to both our extended workforce, but also to the business. I'll just ask a great answer. And I think it shows that actually the future for HR is a lot brighter than some doomsayers would say. It's a great function to, to, to work in at the moment. Thanks for being on the show. How can people stay in touch with you? LinkedIn is a great, uh, great way to get in touch with me. So uh, if anybody has any questions or would like to connect, feel free to, to connect with me on LinkedIn. That's perfect. RJ, thanks yeah. Thanks again. It's Cheers. a pleasure. It's good to see you, David. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week where we'll be speaking to Julie Digby on how HR helps drive continual and successful transformation at Mars. So don't miss that one and I'll see you next time.